Good Monday morning, everyone. Happy early 4th of July. The 4th of July is tomorrow here in the States. But you guys are listening to Author Talk with me, Amy Russell Fern. Our lovely author guest today is Anna J. Stewart. That name just flies off. Like, usually I just do the first name, but it just goes. It's seamless. So I had to do your whole name. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, you guys, let's talk about the weekend, shall we? My birthday was on Friday. So I did not paint my house, but one of my sprinklers was broke because my husband was out of town. So we actually fixed part of our irrigation system together, which was actually a lot of fun. For those of you that don't know me, I actually enjoy doing those things and like moving the pavers. I enjoy those things and kind of showing up my husband at the fact that I could do it and he thinks I can't. So it's really lovely. Um, anyways, so that is what I did. And now I'm gearing up. So my husband's birthday is on the 6th. My daughter's birthday is on the 8th. Fern's birthday is on Sunday on the 9th. So it's just birthday week up in here. And, you know, 4th of July is, you know, technically our birthday is tomorrow in this date. So it's just been a whole lot of fun. I also have been suffering with a cluster migraine for the past three days. So if I am not as uh, wild and just energetic as normal, that is why it's on the left side of my head and in my temple. And so I'm having a hard time focusing for that. So if I'm not as energetic, I do apologize, but I am excited to be here. It is Monday of, you know, all days, which is my favorite day. But what all did everybody else do this weekend? Who wants to go first? Who's super excited? Russell! Okay, I'll go first. I was going to limp Fern. So oh, well, you I raised a, your hand. Uh, well, actually, I was pointing down to Fern, but it didn't look right. <laughs> My so, bad, I didn't see it. I just saw this. So, so I got it. So the two things. Uh, yesterday, oh, no, I guess Saturday, we went to a place called the Grumpy Old Man's Brewery. Nice. Now, this is, this is in Blue Ridge, Georgia way up in the mountains and uh it it's a really famous brewery here in georgia it was started by these four old men up in blue ridge that were all retired but the beer places in blue ridge they didn't really feel welcome because they it was all young people and and they couldn't sit around and talk and have a and smoke they weren't well, they didn't really feel welcome, so they started brewing their own beer. And after a while, uh, some of the bar owners would come over and have a beer with them. And they said, uh, We want this is really good beer, we want to sell this. And they started selling it, and then they opened their own little place. And now it's a big, now it's one of the cool places to go in Blue Ridge, and it was very cool. And the grumpy old men were there. Did you fit in? That's what I was going to ask. So that's it's like what my, my offer. You yeah. have to ask that. I mean, that's just an uh, uh, obvious, Amy. That's an obvious. <laughs> I hate both of you and my wife because she said it too. So I hate all of you. I don't know about Anna yet. We may have problems for it's over. We'll have to see. Oh, okay. So well, you thought I was going to leave you out of that, Anna, but I didn't. <laughs> and here's the other thing. Now I got to say one more thing. I know this is too much. So we, there's this little produce stand up in Blue Ridge, Georgia, that we can get these spectacular peaches and those giant country tomatoes that have so much flavor in them that we always get. But the little old lady has a dialect. First, she's 
a really old lady from Georgia in the mountains. And she has that Northern Georgian dialect. So you can really understand, understand every fourth or fifth word when she's talking. Uh, and it's in, in that dialect, they speak a lot faster than like my West Texas accent. Sorry, truck just went up the mountain. And uh, so you only, but the thing I noticed was when she started talking numbers, that is money, it got clear and slow and precise. The woman knew what she was doing. It was beautiful. And I thought, oh, I got to put that in the character. And then I started trying to hang around her and listen to her talking to other customers to try to get that whole shift back and forth in a dialect for a character. You guys understand what I'm talking about. And yeah. so that was the most exciting thing I did all weekend was listen to that lady speak. See, I love that. That is such an author thing to do because, mm -hmm. you know, you are taking notes. You're taking notes on, you know, how you might be able to use this in, in your book. I love it. And writing dialect is such a hard thing to do, you know, and to do it well so that people don't get overwhelmed with it, too. So, Anna, what did you do for the weekend? Uh, well, I finished a book on Friday. I turned it in Friday night. So um, I did nothing this weekend. We celebrated. We celebrated. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did celebrate. I celebrated by, uh, let's see, cleaning up my desk, getting ready to start a new project this afternoon, actually, and um, caught up on all my emails. I did all the stuff that gets put, pushed aside the closer I get up to deadlines. So um, I did that. I went grocery shopping as early in the morning as possible because I'm in Northern California and we hit 111 degrees yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I was back home as early as I could <laughs> and then uh, kind of spent the rest of the day either just vegging out and reading or catching up on Endeavor, which is the British mystery. And the last episode aired last night. So I'll be watching that today. So just catching up on everything and started rewatching the Lincoln lawyer. Cause that starts season two later this week. So just getting all prepped up for other stuff coming in the week. I love it. I love it. And this is beautiful because you know, we are working writers. We finish one book, we slide into the next, you know, we yep. take this little yep. moment of break celebration and, you know, catch up on the world and then off we go into the next book. And that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a job, right? <laughs> it's a job. That's right. It's our work. Um, so my weekend was really interesting because um, I went, I had the opportunity to go with a gentleman who I've been seeing um, to the installation of officers for a Masonic Lodge in spring. <laughs> And they were installing their first ever Filipino worshipful master. They that uh, he's the main the main dude of the lodge. Um, first time ever they were having a Filipino be, you know, the that in that position. And so it was really interesting, you know. Because I, I loved when I was reading your books, uh, you know stuff about like the secret society in the, in your book. I was like, huh, I spent the weekend with a secret society too. <laughs> no secret. Anyway, it was, it was highly interesting. I, I have to say, um, you know, cause since there were a lot of public members, they did a whole presentation on, you know, what, um, 
what the Freemasons are about and a little bit of the history and stuff. And it was very, very interesting. I thought, um, you know, I, I'm very intrigued, intrigued. Yeah, but I got to celebrate their installation for their Masonic year. Russell. So Fern, uh, one thing is I'm not really surprised about that because Houston and most of the rest of the country doesn't even know this is a complete international city. 160 different languages are spoken in the city. It's, you know, when I practice law, I practice law in the Indian community a lot. And the Indian community is maybe larger Indian community is maybe a million people. So it's just a huge community. So I'm not really surprised by that. I mean, you probably weren't that surprised either. It's just like, watch is the first. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting that because they'd had a, a, a Hispanic gentleman who was a, a their grandmaster, but so this is the first Philippine. But what was really interesting is that, you know, um, they invited members of the the Philippines lodges. Like in in the mm -hmm. Philippines, there are Masonic lodges, and there's the whole system there. And so it was. It's we tend to think of Masonry kind of just European you know, um, this kind of esoteric thing that, that is sort of interesting and Illuminati, lots of symbols and whatnot. But in truth, it's it's a worldwide uh, series of, of brotherhoods. And I really think that it's an incredible uh, opportunity for men because it's, it's an opportunity for men to gather with other men and really help each other be men. You know, be leaders in their homes, be leaders in their community. Of course, it's, it's pretty old school, isn't it? I mean, it's old I have school. A, I have a question, and maybe, yeah. I mean, we can blame this on my migraine because it's probably a stupid question, but I don't know what uh, you're talking about. They're free <laughs> Oh, we're talking about the Mason. Okay, see, I was like, I was inferring some. Like, okay, I'm going to use context clues here so I don't sound stupid. I'm going to assume that that's what it is. But I was like, I'm just going to ask because I, I have no idea. I was like, it's I don't so know what school. this lodging is. What is this lodging that you speak of? <laughs> the free, the, it's for the Freemasons. Okay, so, see, that makes more sense. I know who that is. Okay, I got that. Thank you. We need to thank our podcast listeners. Yeah. Anna. Uh, last year we were notified top, we're top 10 independent book podcasts in America. Oh, cool. Very humbled by that. We thank our listeners. Most people don't listen to us during our live show. Most people listen to us on our channels on podcasts during the week while they're driving to work or taking their walks. That's when I listen to mine are working out. You know, yeah. I listen to podcasts when I'm running. So, uh, we want to thank the people that are listening to us. Amy, how do they find us? Yes. So you guys, you can find us anywhere that you can search and look for a podcast. So Amazon Music, Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, really anywhere. Those are just the ones off my top of my head currently. Um, but that's where you can find us. But like Russell said, we're in, you're just, very humbled. Sorry, I hit my mic. Very humbled by it. We started this. Russell started this uh, just because we enjoyed it. And it's been going on for eight years, coming up on nine. 
So wow. we're just super excited and grateful. But if you want to watch us and have a good chuckle, me and Fern are very animated. We control what comes out of our mouth, but not our facial expressions by any means. And I talk a lot with my hands. So if you want to just come and have a good laugh with us or at us, either way is fine. Um, you can go over to our Facebook group, our YouTube channel, or any of our social media. We do share our live video there. And the recording from that does go up afterwards if you're listening to us. But we're just incredibly grateful for all of you. It is an amazing time to be an author. And we have enjoyed talking to the writing community as a whole. Everybody that is encompassed within that community. But without further ado, Anna, let's get you talking about your book. So Fern, I'm going to kick it to you. Yeah. And Anna, you'll, you'll give me a few minutes. I just want to share about the Houston Writers Guild, speaking about authors and the author community. The Houston Writers Guild has Author Palooza Conference in October coming up, and the prize is going to go up here in July. Okay, we are getting ready to do our website update. Everything's going to be updated, so the prize is going up this month. So it has not yet been done, so you can still get the early bird pricing right now. Um, so if you have not yet bought your tickets, go on over to the HoustonWritersGuild.org. And you will see the full lineup on our writer's room. And then you, it'll take you over to Eventbrite. You can see the schedule of the actual itinerary and you can purchase your tickets there. All right. So, Anna. Yes, ma'am. about your book. Okay. So, you are a romance writer. So, you are near and dear to my heart because I, too, <laughs> love romance. So, talk to me about this particular book, this new book. It is the beginning of a series. Yes. Yes. So it's exposed right here and it's right behind me right there. Um, so yes, the first in my circle of the red lily series. And, um, I always write community books. I always write a large group of friends or in, in my books, uh, family are the family is what you create. It's not necessarily what you're born to. So the main setting is a fictional apartment house in Los Angeles in the heart of Hollywood called Temple House. Uh, tons of Easter eggs in these books as far as my love for old Hollywood. So all of the main heroes and heroines, their names are inspired by classic old Hollywood actors and actresses. Um, and I really wanted to uh, write something that encompassed a lot of my own personal love. So old Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood studio system, which I've always thought was really fascinating. Throw in murder mysteries because I'm a murder mystery junkie. Um, and uh, then circle it in with romance and a bunch of intrigue and suspense and scary stuff. So I kind of it's a kind of a kitchen sink book, has a little bit of everything. But central to the story is the romance between a photographer who uh, discovers her hobby is developing old lost film that come to her through storage units or estate sales or whatever. She just likes to see what people took pictures of, but never developed. And she comes across this film that actually calls into question a 20 year old murder conviction. And when she starts looking into it after the person who gave her the film is attacked and another mutual friend is killed, uh, she's determined to find out who was willing to kill because of this film. So it kind of snowballs from there and she gets involved with a police officer in the LAPD, a detective who has some vested interest in maybe her not digging too deeply into something because she's gonna expose a whole lot more than what she thinks she is. So um, lots of conflict between them, but 
they're also a really hot couple. And then you've got secondary characters who are helping with the investigation. So each book will be standalone. There will be five books in the series. I finished book two. I'm getting ready to start book three. Uh, but each book has its own romance characters, their its own couple. And then you'll see previous couples pull through. So all of the heroines are in all of the books. Um, but each heroine will get her own book for the five. For her romance. Yes. Nice. So now romance goes from really sweet, you know, fade to black. Maybe they hold hands. They might kiss. but That's it. To like the full on erotic spiciness. Um, where do these land on the heat on the heat scale? So um, I do not write hot erotical erotica sex. That is not my forte. Um, these that said, this is probably some of the hottest relationship stuff I've written. Um, normally, I write for Harlequin, so uh, the language I can use in a Harlequin is um, I won't say dictated, but there are certain certain language you don't use in a Harlequin. Uh, with these particular books, I could use whatever I wanted. So I really kind of pushed myself out of my comfort zone when it came to that part of it. But um, as you can see behind me, I've got a, a bunch of books here that I have written. All of the green ones, those are the hand-holding smoochy books. And no, there's no sex in those books at all. The rest of them, they get a little bit hotter. This one, it doesn't come close to hitting the erotica scale but it is a little bit spicier than what I've typically been known for. So was it, um, did you find it difficult pushing yourself beyond like the sweet romance to a getting a little spicier? Where did you like, because where was that edge where you're like, mm, I don't want to go any further than here? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I purposely gave myself permission not to worry about how far to go. Um, and that was the great thing about writing this book is my editor, uh, Leslie Robin at Arc Manor, Kazakh Romances, the line who's publishing this, uh, she pretty much said, write the book that has to be written, you know, and, you know, I didn't have to turn in a synopsis or anything. She says, I trust you. This book sounds great. Write it. We'll go from there. So I didn't have any shackles on me as far as anything in the book. So, um, it was more of a personal challenge and, and I liked the way that it turned out mainly because it suited the characters. And because I was able to push that part of it, I could really go darker into even the more, cause it starts out in a pretty violent way. Um, so I was, I was able to really kind of go darker, which personally I love to do cause I just think that's really fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's cathartic too. It gets all the frustrations out. Well, yeah, and you're writing a mystery, and it's a murder, so yes, and there's conspiracy all over the place, and there's a yeah. secret society in your book. Yes, yes. we spent yeah. the weekend at a secret society, so talk to us <laughs> a little bit about the one that you made up for your book. Well, I can't tell you too much because I haven't revealed that much in the books yet, so really with Exposed, with Exposed, you get, you get a name. And you know that this particular society has been in existence uh, with, and this all fictional, none of this is based on anything. It just comes out of my head and my obsessive television watching um, <laughs> and uh, interest in that kind of thing, like the Masons and all that. I like the mythology of the Masons probably, which is much more fictionalized than the reality of what they really do. Um, so this one, uh, if they've been in existence, you learn 
I think it's at the end of this book, they've been around for a very long time, but they've been working the underpinnings of Hollywood, but also connected to law enforcement and other powerful businesses within Hollywood. And also we'll find out later, it's not just limited to Hollywood. So um, I really wanted to create something that I would like to read or I would like to watch. And uh, the idea that there's some kind of secret machinations going on somewhere that actually has a weakness and might be able to be exposed or destroyed or broken through uh, so that life can kind of reset and take on its own way of progressing rather than having people manipulate it. So that's really where I went was going with the circle, but they're also going to do everything that they can to keep their, keep the most of their existence and some of the stuff that they really are responsible for secret, but that ain't going to happen because that's not the way I'm going to write it. They're in trouble. Right. Right. So is the series, as we go through the series, you said there's going to be five books. Yeah. Are we going to begin to delve deeper into this secret society kind of that's like the bigger overwhelming arc of your of your series? Yeah, so um yeah, so exposed kind of uh shines a light and exposes them as far as existing, although it's not necessarily to the wide public, but to this group of individuals that's decided to take this on. Um mainly because this, they know that this particular society is responsible for a number of disappearances over the decades. This doesn't just go back 10 years. This goes back like almost a hundred years. So uh, missing women, women who have gone missing over decades and uh, book two uh, is, it exposes a little bit more about how many women have gone missing and the heroine in book two, actually her sister is one of the missing. So she's especially driven to finding out uh, some answers. She wants to know what happened to her sister and more importantly, where her sister is. So that leads us into book three. And in book three, um, it's kind of going to start to crack through the public as far as what the society is and uh, what they have their hands in. So by the time we get to the fifth book, pretty much everything they were trying to stop from being exposed will have been exposed. But now it comes down to uh, where are they going to go from there? Are they going to fight for their existence or are they going to uh, allow this final couple to really put the nail in their coffin? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. And so yeah. as we go along, we're getting, we're resolving the current mystery, the current situation, but then we're also delving into past mysteries, unsolved yes. situations that have been happening. I love that. That's, I love these multiple layers because um, I'm the kind that likes to find the little Easter eggs and I'm the kind that will like read book five and go, oh my God, I remember that from book one. You know, I love that kind of layered thing. As a writer, as you're kind of coming through, um, putting these together, do you, are you more of a plotter? Like, do you have your, your uh, kind of plot outline and stuff that for different books? Or are you more of a discovery? Like, let's see where this goes. Kind of I'm, I'm typically I'm a pantser. I don't plot, um, which is interesting. Some books need a little bit more plotting than others, but uh, as far as this particular series, I know the plot is kind of coming from the heroes and heroines that I'm pairing off. 
So in book one, I have a reporter and a cop. And then book two, I have a sister of a missing woman and the DA who's assigned to the case. So there's the push-pull there. So that push-pull really kind of um, helps me discover what the uh, external plot really is going to be. And uh, book two got complicated because my heroine has an eight-year-old daughter. So working a child into a romantic suspense. And I mean, I grew up in the fatal attraction era. You're either worried about the kids or you're worried about the bunny or the animal. So um, <laughs> that was the first time I really kind of did something like that. And it was, it was, it was really tough to do to put the child in jeopardy, but because it's a romance and people who read romance know this, nothing's ever going to happen to the kid. And I never, never, ever will kill off an animal. That is my new, that will never happen. You hear that? Yeah, I don't agree with that. I got to tell you, uh, nothing gets a reader's reaction like going after an animal. Oh, I say you can go after them, but they won't ever die. I will never kill off an animal, no, only because my heart can't take it. Um, and I know uh, it's like, we see all the videos on uh, on social media and stuff or the darn SBCA commercials. Yeah, I can't even take that. So I don't have a problem endangering it, but people can, and here, spoiler alert, you never have to worry about me killing off an animal because it's just not, <laughs> it's hard enough in real life. I'm not going to do it in fiction. Girl, I can't even go to the animal shelter behind my house without coming home with an animal. Okay. Ask exactly. my husband. I've been banned. I've been banned. So I follow them online. I'm like, I'm the stalker of the animal shelter. So I, we all understand. Russell, not so much, but we all can relate. I, I won't, I can't watch those commercials either. But the joke here, Annie, you don't know is while I was working on my next book, Fern and I, we're constantly fighting about this dog <laughs> in the book because in my first book, I killed a horse and hmm. I got more griping from readers about what I did with that horse than any of the people I killed. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It was, I totally it was crazy. It. I was stunned. And Fern was, yeah. and, and I thought the whole time I was writing the next book about this dog that's in the book. Yeah, no, if I'm if I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book and there is an animal in jeopardy, I will stop caring about the hero and the heroine and just worry about the animals. Yeah. That's just and I, and I think it might be a, it might be a woman thing. I don't know, but uh yeah, once you introduce <laughs> and I have a lot of animals in these books too cuz I have a lot of dogs. Uh I have two dogs who pay, play a pretty pretty prominent role, especially with my heroine in book 3. Uh, Cause he's also a former guard dog, uh, which plays into her, uh, her situation. Uh, but um, as getting back to the, to the plotting versus pantsing, I tend to plot more with a suspense book because the mystery element has to be believable and carried through properly. And I have to catch all of the threads. So that usually requires a lot more plotting, but I don't get into specifics plotting wise. It's literally just a sentence here is make sure you catch this uh take it in an angst. and also if i plot i know what happened and if i plot i've already i've like i know people who sit down and write the entire plot out to their book and i'm like if i've done that i've written the book and i am bored and i am ready to move on so uh and also i never know who the actual killer is in my suspense books because if i know 
then the reader's going to know it because somehow I'm going to give that away. So I, I learned that from a, a friend of mine, Alison Brennan, who writes amazing thrillers. Uh, she never knows who the killer is in her books. And um, I kind of took that lesson from hers. I don't want to know because I want to be surprised. And I love that rush that you get as an author when you come across that aha moment that you didn't see coming, but you're just like, oh my God, that's so good. And then you get to put that on the page. And that's kind of that rush that I live for with each one of these books. That is very true. And I love, I love how you're talking about the different threads because I'm sure once you've gotten the first draft in, then you have to go back in and revise and make sure that you've built in all those clues and the red herrings and all of that jazz. You know, do you um, do you work with a particular editor? Do you do you like critique groups? Because that's one of the other issues between me and Russell. <laughs> Anti critique groups. I love critique groups. If you're in the right one, I think they're very helpful. I was just going to say, you have to be in the right one. Um, I have been working with the same two critique partners since, wow, almost 20 years, I think. That's and not it, a group. That is people you trust. That is different. Right. Well, that goes to that goes to the right critique group will work wonders for you. And in fact, we were we just zoomed last week where we each had run into different roadblocks in our books and we hop on Zoom and we hammer it out over a couple of hours. We also get some venting of life out too. But I think finding the right critique group can be an invaluable tool. I would not be published if it wasn't for these two women because they helped me hone my craft. Uh, they helped me tell a better story. Um, I do work with, uh, I have an editor at Harlequin, Catherine Lai, who edits all of my books for heartwarming and for romantic suspense. Uh, we have a great relationship, a great shorthand. We're both very sarcastic. So we kind of understand each other's verbal shorthand. Um, and then Leslie Robin, uh, who is a author of, in her own right for Ark Manor, uh, edits my Red Lily books and has uh, edited a couple of anthologies I've written for them. So um, she's very hands-on, but she's also very, write the book you need to write, and then we'll just punch it up. So she's never come back to me and said, this doesn't work or this. She will catch things I completely miss, which is great. But I also edit as I go along. I don't write straight through and then go back and do it. I probably write two or three chapters, let it sit for a little while. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to make sure and go back and tweak that. So I'm editing as I go. So by the time I hit that last 50 to 100 pages, it's like a roller coaster and I'm straight down zooming through. I usually write the last 50 to 100 pages in about three days. It takes me that long to kind of build it up. And then once I hit that sweet point, I'm like, okay, now we're rolling and the rest can just go because the first part of the book is clean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. And it's a very, very interesting because like, uh, you know, you see this, especially with NaNoWriMo, like July is a camp nano month. Mm -hmm. and, and you see this with a lot of nano writers that, you know, they just sort of plow through this first draft and it's a hot mess and then you have to go in and fix it and that that doesn't tend to work as well for me i've done nano but i i have to go in like you and get back in there and revise some of the pages as i go so i think that's a brilliant thing so as you're working across these different uh, series you're working on this one right now are you also working on other projects for other publishers as well and how do, how do you 
you know, kind of manage going from one project to another? So I, I tend to work on one project at a time uh, just because unless I'm like really crunched on deadlines. So I write for two lines for Harlequin. I write uh, sweet romances for heartwarming. And then I write a romantic suspense for their romantic suspense line. Um, and usually I've, I've been pretty lucky as I, I finish one sweet romance and then I've got a suspense and then I've got another sweet romance and then I've got an arc manor book. So everything's pretty much been lining up mainly because, um, I'm allowed to choose my deadlines and I work with all of my editors as far as what's due when. Um, so, uh, what I have started doing in the last few years as I signed up for a class called HB 90, Heart Breathings 90, which is put on by a woman named Sarah Cannon. And it's a uh, kind of a time management program uh, where she has a particular uh, planner that you can print out and she has you break everything down into manageable tasks. So you're not looking at the full book that has to be written. You're looking at a part of the book that has to be written in this time in order to stay on schedule. So it's really kind of opened me up as far as stop thinking about the eight books you've got contracted and just focus on the ones you're working on for this three month period of time. So she breaks the year down into quarters. So once um, that kicked in and I finally understood how that process worked, um, it, it was life changing because my stress level just plummeted and I was able to be a lot more productive because my head wasn't spinning about everything else that I have to do. So, um, Thankfully, I've been able to move easily from one project to another and I write pretty fast. I mean, the last the book I turned in on uh, Friday, I keep track of my days and my hours as far as I'm working. And it only took me 18, 18 days to write it. And it was 70,000 words. But that's broken down into six hour blocks of time that I can set aside and write. I usually write from eight to noon every day. And if I hit my word count, which I like to be 5,000 words a day. Um, then I'm done for the day and I can work on the busy work, the, the boring part of being an author, you know, the promo and all of that kind of stuff. But, um, incorporating that into this HB 90 plan really, uh, loosened me up. And I think I have a whole list of everything I have to write for the year. And I think I have 15 projects that were due anywhere from partials, to um, full novels, to novellas. Um, and I think I've knocked off eight things so far this year. So I still have a little ways to go and I've got two more full books to write this year, but I'm taking December off. This is the first year in seven years. I will not have a deadline in December. So, um, and I purposely worked it that way because I want to enjoy the holidays. <laughs> I miss enjoying the holidays. So, um, yeah, being aware of my contract due dates and um, getting ahead of things if I can. And I also do um, editing on the side for authors. So working them in between, because you got to keep the paychecks rolling in, right? Because this isn't an easy living to make. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, keeping track of my calendar and working that program and not letting myself get overwhelmed by everything that has to be done in the future and just focusing on what has to be done now. That's for me, it's been the key to success so far. Russell, did you have a question? You look like you have a question. I have like 10 questions. Some <laughs> of them she's already answered. Anna, thank you so much for the way you have discussed your writing process. We rarely get such a good discussion as that. And that was excellent. 
And in fact, I wanted to say, I wanted to make a comment about your biography that you put on the books too. Because I always read that to see a little bit who the uh, author is. And uh, yours is excellent. It really, it's, it, it, it's well written. And it's, it's really, this is, this is who I am. And I thought it was, it was really nice. And I, I thought you did a good job of that. Thank you. Uh, I, I've got a couple of questions. How do you pants write if you're, you've got all these characters that are going to stack into the next books and be main characters, and you've got to put them somewhere in this book, and plus you have your romance of your main characters, plus mm -hmm. you have your adventure that creates the tension for your book. How do you do that in pants? If I, I don't know, honestly. Um, well, like I said, if I, if I try to plot it out, the surprise goes away and the surprise is really, I kind of liken, I liken writing to uh, being a drug addict. You're chasing that high of plotting, putting together a story that you know, that you hope will catch readers attention, right? So in order to do that, I've got, I've got to go out on a ledge and not be detail oriented. But in the meantime, I'm sitting and writing at a computer that's about 20 years old, by the way, this computer does not go online. It's a word processor. That's it. But I've got a whiteboard over here where my posts, every time I have a note or a thought that, okay, I have to remember to put this in somewhere in the future, it goes on a sticky note. It goes on the whiteboard. Um, I've usually got my general plot points. You know, this is what has to happen. Um, and it's how I get there that's really the pantsing part of it. Um, all of that is listed on the whiteboard. Uh, character pictures. Um, if I have a character, a secondary character who's going to be coming up and getting her own book, I start making notes. And I also keep all of this on OneNote. OneNote has been an eye-opener for me. A friend of mine, Abigail Owen, who writes amazing YA fantasy books. Oh, my God, they're so good. Um, but she puts her entire life into OneNote. And most, uh, if you have uh, Office 365, you've got OneNote. So it's a digital, I look at it as a digital bulletin board. So every time I do research and I come up with a link of something that I know I'm gonna use sometime, it goes into OneNote under future, future information or what. Every character I have gets their own page. Uh, and that anything that I write about that character, when I get done with the book, it goes into OneNote. Uh, so I've got all of that already loaded in where it's really just a one click and that goes on a different computer. I do not keep the OneNote on the same computer I write on. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of, and I'm learning the more books that I write, what my process really is. And I think I finally fallen into uh, a solid pattern of what that process is. But I will say this, you know, for as many authors as there are out there, that is as many ways as there is to write a book. There is yeah. no wrong way to write a book except not to write it. So um, I wasted a lot of time listening to other authors saying, this worked for me, it's gonna work for you. No, it's not. What's gonna work for you is figuring out what your process is and using other authors' processes as an example or as an inspiration or even try it out to see if it works for you. Chances are it's not going to. Um, but figuring out what does work for you. And nothing's wrong. If it works for you, it's not wrong. 
And I don't exactly. think we talk enough about that for authors is that stop worrying about what you should be doing to write the book and just write the book however you have to do it. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that because it's very true. You know, you, you see a lot of, uh, in a lot of our wonderful conferences, we have authors that come, they say, hey, this is how I do it. And it's the important thing is, yes, listen to how different authors have done it, try it out, but tweak it for yourself. It doesn't have to be the same, you know, for everybody. So it's it's yeah. important that you find what works for you and what allows you to flow in the creative, uh, you know, juices. Well, yeah, what we do. yeah, and I think there's there's also uh, there's also a warning as far as I'm concerned is if you're listening to an author telling you you have to do something this way, that is a big red flag. I'm like, no, I don't, and that could be just the rebellious side of me that often said that even when I was a child, don't tell me what I have to do. Just tell me what needs to get done. I'll figure out my own way to do it. And I think if we started doing that a little bit more than relying on somebody telling us, this is how you do it. And then you get frustrated because it doesn't work for you. It's because it's not meant for you. It's meant for them. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you do, you have to find your own road, you know, yeah. and if they're trying to tell you, you have to do it this way, they're selling you something more than likely. Too. Yeah, very true more than likely. So as you're going through with your with your books and you have these series going on, um, what is, and I always love to ask this, okay, what drew you to this particular genre? I mean, of all the different things that you could have written about, what made the, you know, this, this blend of romance your blend? Well, um, I was a child of the 70s, so this was way before there was anything called young adult novels. So I read I read Carrie by Stephen King when I was eight. So horror was my first foray into adult fiction. Um, I was really lucky. My mother never once said no to a book. If there was something I wanted to read, you know, even if she had qualms about it, which she she had to have had some qualms about some of the stuff I was reading as a kid, but she never did because she figured I'm, she's feeding my brain, right? If I want to read whatever I want to read, and it's the greatest gift she ever gave me because it gave me a love of horror fiction, first of all, uh, and turned me on to Stephen King. Uh, and I love, I haven't read a lot of his more recent stuff, but his early stuff, it's still gold as far as I'm concerned. So I read a lot of horror, I read a lot of Stephen King. Uh, Dean Koontz is my other absolute favorite go-to, mainly because he puts horror and romance together so brilliantly. Someday I'm gonna write a book as good as he's written with The Watchers. But um, so uh, growing up and reading those, and then when I hit high school, uh, it was like this, I don't know what universe gift was given to me. But at the same time, I discovered romance novels. Somebody gave me a romance novel to read because we were doing the standardized test days and I had forgotten to bring a book with me. So she says, oh, I've got this romance novel. So she gave it to me and it was by Nora Roberts, uh, Silhouette Intimate Moments number 94. I've still got the book. Um, so this was back in 1986, I think. Yeah, I would have been a sophomore in high school. And when I finished that book, I don't know how else to explain it, but I just knew I needed to know how to write a story like that. There was something about 
uh, the characters being at odds with each other, but finding their way to each other at the same time in a mystery, because this particular story had a suspense angle to it. So um, for years I played at writing, you know, but, and then I just read voraciously and reading voraciously, I think turned me more into a storyteller. And then a group of friends and I started writing what we now know as fan fiction. Well, it wasn't called fan fiction back in the eighties. It was called not doing your homework and being a terrible student because some of us got obsessed with writing these mini romances featuring ourselves and our favorite rock stars. So from there, I got serious and started creating my own characters and my own stories and, you know, wrote my first book then, but I didn't get serious about it really until about 2011 uh, when I, you know, spent ages in college. I kept changing my major because of a book that I'd read and I'm like, I want to be that now I want to be that. So I changed my major again. It took me forever to get through college. Um, but then I realized becoming a writer, I can be all of those things for as long as it takes me to write a book. So, and then I had uh, a teacher, Mary Buckham, who does some wonderful workshops for writers, especially romance writers. And she had a meditation session where she said, imagine yourself in five years and you're not published. And I just had a what the hell moment. That is not gonna be me. And I'm like, okay, I, ha I had a book I thought could do really well. I buckled down, I got that book finished, I submitted into a national contest and I finaled and I landed an agent all within the space of that year. So that impetus of imagine your dream not coming true, what are you gonna do with your life? I wasn't, I, I couldn't let that happen. And I don't know where that came from. It was just, but then two years later I was public, I got offered contracts by both Harlequin and Berkeley. The only side was I had to switch from what I was writing. I was writing paranormal romance, paranormal adventure romance. New York didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't want to self-publish. Self-publish isn't not for me. I don't have the energy or the brain capacity for it. I want a traditional publishing because that's what fits well for me. Um, so I had to make a change and I switched to contemporary romance, which got me into heartwarming. And once I wrote a few heartwarmings, I was able to, to submit to suspense so that took me to the next level, which introduced me in another way to Leslie. So everything is kind of building up on each other, but it's taking that first step and that that moment of imagine yourself in five years and you haven't moved, that you're in the same place. And I'm like, I'm not gonna let that be me. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and sharing the authors that inspired your journey. And I'm gonna kick it over to Amy because we're already late and Russell's giving me the email. I can feel it. I could. I could feel it boring into me. <laughs> I was choosing to ignore it. <clears throat> I was very much just like we're just not going to look. That's why I wasn't making eye contact with Russell. I was looking <laughs> over on the other part of my screen. But I will say yes, Anna. Thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come and hang out and chat with us. And so, with that being said, I'm going to kick it for last minute comments, questions, statements. Russell, I'm going to kick it to you first. Anna, where can the listeners find your books? Uh, best place is just to go to my website, www.authorannastewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, at the end, .com. Uh, all of my books are listed there with all of the buy links. It's the best place. Wonderful. Fern, what about you? I'm just excited to get to read some more romance novels. Every time that we have authors on this show, 
I get excited because I get to meet new authors and read new books. Yay. Oh, I love it. Well, Anna, it is always so much fun to get and to talk with you. I spoke with you or the from one of the creators did from Love of Palooza. And so getting to just chat with you and everything is always so much fun. So I always look forward to it. But thank you so much for taking time out of your morning, early morning to come and talk <laughs> and hang out with us. It has been so much fun. So you guys, we hope everybody has a fun and safe 4th of July. But until then, have a great Monday, a great rest of the week. And until next Monday, everybody, bye for now.